0: Laura, and this is Oppositional by Nature. The next stop on our wayfinding journey, where we systematically navigate the winding paths towards our ever evolving goals, brings us to a topic that addresses how we spend our time. Wayfinding topic two says We have become conditioned to create technology and systems that optimize and strive towards efficiency, but at some point we may want to ask, Optimize for what? Do we have more time back in our days due to all of this efficiency? What are we doing with it? Is it fulfilling? Through a combination of intentional shifts and external redirection, the pace of my life has slowed down a lot over the past couple years. I can trace back to the beginning of this shift that started in March of 2020, When I lost the ability to do the job that had been consuming the majority of my time. I knew it was time to let go of being an in-person strength coach but I didn't exactly know why it was time to let go and it provided me with a source of income that I didn't dislike trading in my time for. I liked the people I worked with. I had been training them for years and even though I've always tried to create boundaries between the work that I'm getting paid to be doing And the relationships I have with the people I work with, it has always been messy for me. Much to my dismay, I end up liking them too much. I guess I did sort of know why it was time to let go. I wasn't growing in that space anymore. Now, before I go any further, I want to make sure I assert that I don't think it's generally a good rule of thumb to move away from a work environment because you're experiencing too much ease and enjoying the company of the people you work with. I do understand how privileged that perspective is. What I'm saying is that when it comes to my work and how I contribute to the world, I have the sense that my own growth and transformation is a key element. Regardless, when March of 2020 rolled around, training people in person was no longer an option. And to coincide with the shifting tides, I just let it go. I made no plans to resume training again sometime in the future, and I allowed myself to be redirected. In the space that this absence of work created, I spent a lot of time getting in touch with feelings that I'd been avoiding and trying to outrun for so many years. Not on purpose, I didn't come to this idea consciously. Remember, I was the one intentionally filling my time with meaningless work in order to avoid all of this stuff, and it's not like the feelings I was avoiding were all the good ones. Then, at the end of last year, I had another one of those senses that something in my environment had become misaligned, and it was time to uproot my life in Colorado and move to a new place. Of course, there was more nuance to the decision than that, but it is again important to acknowledge that moving across the country isn't a generally ideal or even an available way to initiate well-intentioned growth-stimulating change. All I can say is that it was for me, and the result was something akin to the exact opposite of efficiency and the optimization of my time. I had relinquished my ability to tune out, simply by virtue of being in a new place and not having created the corresponding habits and patterns yet. When I first imagined what it would be like to move to a new place, it's not like I was unaware of the fact of the disruption to my automatic and ingrained patterns, but I did think it would be an exciting and uplifting opportunity to increase my awareness and set new patterns when really it was just an exhausting and seemingly unending opportunity to do so. And this is one of my problems. I'm an idealist, which is a nice way of saying that I have a lot of grand ideas for how I'm going to challenge myself and put myself into growth-inducing, uncomfortable situations. And I completely overlook the actual embodied experience of discomfort. My ideas are inspiring enough to elicit action and set the plan in motion, and everything always goes really well up until the part where I remember that there is always a sacrifice that has to be made in order for a new vision to come to fruition. No matter how many times I engage this process, I will forget, at least affectively, that external change and internal change are inseparable. I don't get to have more thoughtful, aligned habits and patterns without disrupting the part of me that was tuned out and unengaged for probably a very good reason. In a messed up sort of way, though, this affective forgetting is actually ideal, because by the time my everyday default self, what Aldous Huxley referred to as the interfering neurotic who tries to run the show, gets a whiff of what's happening There is already an undergone current that has gained enough momentum to disallow my ability to turn back. Dr. Dacher Keltner, a professor of psychology at UC Berkeley, has a nicer, more appropriately complex way of defining, defining the default self. It's the part of you that is focused on how you are distinct from others, independent, in control, and oriented towards competitive advantage. Keltner elaborates that the default self has many good qualities, like keeping you on track with your goals and urging you to rise within the ranks of the world. But when our default self reigns too strongly and we are too focused on our own agendas, anxiety, rumination, depression, and self-criticism can overwhelm us. I think there is an odd misconception of presence as something consistently positive that we should always want to aspire to but I tend to come across it most frequently in the blank spaces. When there's no autopilot to come in and relieve me, and I could either fill my time with running around and accomplishing things, or, and I've only recently discovered this option, I could just not do the things. This unintended slowing down that I've recently been sorting through feels most often like restlessness and unease, And it has been the most common way that I've experienced presence. But no matter how we arrive there, conscious attentiveness is the necessary precondition for encounters with wonder and awe, deeply embodied connection, and the possibility for something entirely new to emerge. A couple months ago, I was running on one of the trail systems near my house And at the top of one of the overlooks, I noticed a pole standing vertically out of the ground, maybe 10 feet high, with a collection of dog collars attached to chains ornately wrapped around it, and a memorial plaque conveying its meaning. The animate aura around this pole was enough to stop me in my tracks and draw me closer. Right before I got within reading distance, I could already feel what the plaque transcribed in loving memory of our loyal and faithful friends and companions. Had my default self not been temporarily disoriented, I may have been moving too quickly to recognize this magnetic, externalized aching and to be a conscious participant in the shared reverence for what the Bellamy brothers describe perfectly. Lord, help me be the kind of person my dog thinks I am. You know that feeling. There's that one song that feels so astonishingly resonant. It's as if it were written just for you. The one that catches you off guard and makes you cry out of nowhere when you were just passively minding your own business. There's that painting or sculpture or photograph that makes you wonder whether it came from another world entirely or from the exact core of this one. Part of this effect is the profound artistry, associated skill sets, and the willingness to tolerate prolonged vulnerability. But there's something else too. In our fast paced world of moving forward and moving on and fixing our focus to a specific outcome, this collectively constructed memorial was evidence that instead of attempting to fill or fix an unquenchable void, there is also the option to just leave it all alone for a minute. And if we can tolerate it for long enough to wade through the dark, disconcerting waters into the unknown, something utterly restoring and potentially eternal can come through. Not eternal in the sense that the materialized creations themselves are going to last forever. Eternal in the quality of love so deliriously intertwined with heartache that is so distinctly and timelessly human. I'd love to know if there's an easier or gentler way to create space and to convince ourselves to simply be with the coinciding restlessness. There have to be more imaginative ways to choose not to do anything about our underlying low-grade distress without the disorienting interruptions of external upheaval. We've all at least heard of this concept before. We know about the data, if not the rational conceptualization that says that it's a good idea to carve out pockets of presence. But there's a lot to overcome to actually realize these changes, and it's not just about us and our apparently ineffective, ingrained patterns. The $800 billion advertising industry knows with questionably ethical precision how to not only hijack our attention for the purpose of the ever-increasing consumerism that sustains it, but it also depends on pathologizing mental health as an individual problem rather than a systemic one. If we continue to see our distress and unease as each of our own pathologies to overcome, to feel shame about, and ideally to throw money at all in a silo, then we never have space to wonder what other options we have. And we don't have the self-assertion required to believe that we can create anything different. So I can say from experience that quitting your job and moving across the country are not the ideal ways to initiate more conscious awareness of how we spend our precious and fleeting time. But I do know that If I'm going to optimize my life for any one thing, it's for cultivating pockets of time for the inefficient, restless, unsettled present, no matter how hard and confusing it is to do so. Because that time in between time that is often enmeshed with heartache and fear and self-blame is also the only place that I know of where we have space to imagine and create new radically free worlds where we remember with increasing boldness all the ways that we are already free.